Well, after coming to faith in Christ, how many of you remember the day that you were baptized? Out of curiosity, how many of you remember the day you were baptized? Okay. Uh, now, how many of you remember the first time you took communion? Out of curiosity here. Far less of you. Far less of you. Now, baptism is designed to happen one time in the life of a believer after you come to faith in Christ. Now, some of you have cheated. You've been baptized four or five times in your life. Uh, that's okay. We still love you. Uh, we still love you. Now, communion, on the other hand, is designed to be practiced thousands of times throughout the life of a believer. It is an ongoing part of our spiritual development as Christians. But why? Why do you get baptized one time, but you take communion thousands of times? And when you take communion, what is happening? We're going to take communion here this morning as a body. What's happening when we are taking communion? The Catholic Church says that communion is required for salvation. And that the bread and the cup are the literal body and blood. The literal, not symbolic, the literal body and blood of Jesus. And the reason you take communion is so that the sacrifice of Jesus can be applied to your soul that you might be forgiven. So it is a requirement for salvation. Other churches, on the other hand, will say that communion is utterly insignificant. That the elements of communion, the bread and the cup, do not matter at all. Uh, one church, they take communion with Arizona iced tea and Skittles. So here's a, a picture of how they take communion. And there's probably something inside of you that looks at the Catholic view of communion and then the Skittles view of communion, and you say, both of them are wrong. Like, I don't know, that n neither of those can actually be right. But what is right? And what does the Bible actually teach about communion, and why does it matter? Well, to help us think through communion or the Lord's Supper this morning, we're going to look at two very simple questions. Question number one is, what is communion? What is it? Question number two is, how should we practice it? As a church, how should we practice communion? So let's start with question number one. What is communion? What is communion? Well, here's a very, a very simple sentence. It's that communion, like baptism, is a visible sign of invisible realities. What is communion? It is a visible sign of invisible realities. When we take communion as a church, we are acting out the gospel. We are portraying the story of the gospel, the record of what Christ has done for us. The bread equals the body in or the body of Christ given for us. Verse 19, Luke twenty-two nineteen, 19. And he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, gave it to them and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So the bread is the body of Christ given for us. The cup is the blood of Christ poured out for us. And it is the sign of the new covenant. Verse 20. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. The Lord Jesus Christ knows that there are a million distractions in life. I, I don't know how many of you came to church this morning distracted or burdened, or your mind is going about opportunities you're currently looking at. There are so many things happening in our lives, so many distractions, so many good distractions, so many burdens that we carry. But, what, but the Lord Jesus Christ says, when you come together, like we've come together this morning, he says, I want you to remember me. I want you to remember me. I want you to put those distractions off to, us, off to the side, and I want you to remember me, what I have done for you. 
Uh, so many people believe that the key to growing spiritually is learning new doctrines, learning new truths. And it's a wonderful thing to learn the Bible and to get precise in your understanding of uh, Christian doctrine. That's a very important aspect of the Christian life. And I don't want to discourage anyone from doing that. We should do that as Christians. But the sign of a healthy heart, the sign of a healthy, growing, fruitful Christian is not how much you know. Knowledge is very important. If you could do an x-ray, a spiritual x-ray on someone's heart and look at someone's soul, if you want to look for a sign of health, it's not just knowledge. You need knowledge in the Christian life, but it's not just knowledge. The key to growth in the Christian life is delighting in what you already know. It's delighting in what Christ has already done for us. For so many of us, the truth of the gospel, that Jesus lived and died and rose again on our behalf, that's not brand new information. We've heard that for years and years and years. And so when it comes to that information, it's not that we need more and more information about Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. We do need more information, don't get me wrong. But the key to growth is delighting in those truths. It's loving what Christ has done for us. It's overflowing with gratitude. The, the mark of a healthy, growing, fruitful Christian is a heart that's overflowing with gratitude for what Christ has done for us. And so communion is an opportunity to behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the earth, of the world. To behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. To remember that Jesus has paid our debt at the cross he has paid our debt, that our sins are forgiven. And Jesus knows the necessity of being reminded of this truth over and over and over again. It takes my heart about five minutes to wander away from the gospel. About five minutes, I'll just move to something else. I'll get really excited about something else or really discouraged about something else. But forgetting the good news of what God has done for us in Christ is like getting a flat tire on your car. I mean, you can drive for a little while with a flat tire on your car, but eventually you're going to break down. And the same is true in the Christian life. If you forget what Christ has done for you, you will break down spiritually. You can go through the motions. You can keep going to church. You can keep showing up with a smile on your face. You can serve in a variety of areas, even significant areas in the life of the, of the church. But eventually you will break down if the gospel is no longer sweet to your soul. And so communion is to put the work of Jesus Christ at the center of our life. It's to help, to help remind us of what Christ has done for us. Christianity, it's not about what we do for God. It's not, that's not the measure of our maturity. It's not about what we can do for God. It's about celebrating and remembering what Christ has already done for us. That he has, de he has defeated sin on our behalf. He has defeated death on our behalf. He has promised eternal life. He has given us eternal life. He's given us victory over sin. He's made us a new creation in Christ, and all of that is a gift of God's grace. And the Lord Jesus Christ knows that we need to constantly be reminded of these truths. One author says that people need to be reminded more than they need to be instructed. People need to be reminded more than they need to be instructed. And if you're a parent, you know that to be true. I mean, all you do all day long is remind your kids of what they already know. It would be foolish to say, you know what, I, I taught my kids everything they need to know when they're five. I just, I taught them once, I gave them all the information. Clean, you know, clean your room and, uh, you know, work hard at school and don't hit your sister and don't go to the Barbie movie and uh, brush your teeth. I'm just kidding about that, but don't do drugs. Make your bed. You know, I told you once when you were five and that's all you need. It's 
like, no, all you do all day long is remind your kids of the same things over and over and over and over and over. And the more you remind your kids, the more they are going to learn. And brothers and sisters, this is how you learn as well. You need to hear the gospel a thousand times. You, you need to be reminded of what Christ has done for you a thousand times. This is the key to our spiritual growth. And so communion is designed to remind us of the most important reality in the universe, the person and work of Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, his love, his mercy, his grace, his holiness, his forgiveness, to put Christ at the center. Just, just through the bread and the cup to remember, oh, his body was given for me. It was given. His body was given for me. His blood was shed for me. That if I got what I deserved, I would go to hell forever. If I got what I deserved, I would go to hell forever. But he hasn't given us what we deserve. The Lord Jesus Christ, he came for us. He came that we might find life in him. So this is what communion is all about. It's a visible sign of these marvelous spiritual realities, these realities about what Christ has done for us, that his body was given for us, his blood was shed for us. Question number two, how should we practice communion? How should we practice it? Now, many trees have died in writing all the different ways churches should practice communion. I mean, it, you go read. You will find volume after volume after volume as to how churches should practice communion. How do, you, how do you do it? How often do you do it? Who do you offer communion to? So we could go on and on about that. And so I don't want to give a lot of speculation, a lot of opinions about how communion should be practiced. What I want to do is put a foundation underneath our feet. I want to give you some principles that are crystal clear in the scriptures about how we are to practice communion. Number one, practice communion corporately. How do we practice communion? How should we practice communion? We are to practice communion corporately as opposed to individually. Communion is not designed for just you and the Lord. It is for you and the Lord, but it's also for the body of Christ. So the right practice of communion would not be me in my kitchen, sitting in my kitchen taking communion. I suppose you could do that, but that's not the design of communion. The implication from 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and 11 is that the church is to take communion together. When we gather, we are to take communion as a body. 1 Corinthians 10, 16 says, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a sharing in the blood of Christ? The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a sharing in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a sharing in the body of Christ? When we take communion, we are sharing in the body and blood of Christ. It is not the means by which we are forgiven, but it is a picture, it is a sign, a portrait of what Christ has done for us, reminding us of the forgiveness that is in Christ. And there is a benefit when we gather, when we take communion, there is a sharing in the life of Christ that we experience as we take communion. Now, if an alien came down from Mars and went to church here at Walnut Creek Church. If one of you are an alien here this morning, you don't know anything about uh, the, the Bible, you don't know anything about church at all, and, and I said, okay, now it's time to share in the Lord's Supper. And then you looked at the little piece of cracker in the cup. You would say, this is supper for you human beings? This is supper? You must have a small stomach. You're sh- 
You're sharing in the Lord's Supper. This is a very small supper. Now, why is that? Why is that? Well, the, the, the goal of communion is not to nourish our bodies. The goal is not that we walk away filled physically. It's that we feast on Christ. It, it is for our souls to feast on Christ, that we might be nourished as we delight in Christ and commune with Christ. Communion is not a funeral service. It's not a time when we gather together to remember just his death. It's a time when we, we gather together to remember that his body was given for us, his blood was shed for us, and that he rose again from the dead, that Jesus Christ is alive. If the Bible is true, then Christ is with us right now. He's the head of his church. He's in us who believe. If you're a Christian, you've been born again. You've been filled with the Holy Spirit. And he dwells with his people. It's about communing with the resurrected Christ. It's about delighting in him. It's about remembering what he has done for us. Not just for me, but for us. He saved his church, his people. Verse 17, Paul says, Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, since all of us share the one bread. So we are to take communion corporately. We come together. Men and women, we take communion. Rich and poor, we take communion. Old and young, married and single, Jew and Gentile, black and white. If you're a Christian, you're united to Christ, and therefore we are united together as one body. So we take communion corporately as a body. Number two, practice number two, is that we are to practice communion reverently. I was wrestling this week with the word reverently or seriously. I'm not sure which one is better, reverently or seriously. 1 Corinthians 11.28 says, Let a person examine himself. One of the benefits of communion is the opportunity for self-examination. I can go an entire day without being quiet. Do you ever have those days? You go the entire day. You wake up, you have headphones in your ear, or you're talking to someone, you're on the phone. And then that goes the entire day, and you haven't had one moment of silence. Not one moment of silence. And that can go on not just for a day, but two days, five days, a week. You can be so busy in your life that you never slow down and examine yourself. You don't let God's word or God's spirit penetrate your heart. The Apostle Paul says in verse 28, let a person examine himself. In this way, let him eat the bread and drink the cup. So as we eat the bread and drink the cup, before we do that, we are to examine ourselves. The Corinthians were not examining themselves. As a result, they were taking communion in an unworthy manner. Many people have asked over the years, what does it mean to take communion in an unworthy manner? This is very strong language that he uses because he says, if you take communion in an unworthy manner, you are eating and drinking judgment on yourself. That's why some of you are sick and are dying. Paul says, Paul's understanding of the church in Corinth is that because they were eating in an unworthy manner, some were dying. God was judging his people. So people say, whoa, what does it mean to eat in an unworthy manner? To be clear, none of us are worthy of Christ. We're not worthy of communion in and of ourselves. We don't stand before Christ on the basis of our own righteousness, our own holiness, our own goodness, we don't come to Christ 
proud of our self-accomplishments and our self-righteousness. That's not the way we come. We come humbly before Christ as broken sinners clothed in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus. So this is not about perfecting ourselves, making sure that we're perfect in every way. And you better be perfect or God will judge you. I don't think that is what Paul is saying at all. He is saying that there is an unworthy manner in which you can approach the Lord's Supper. There's a way you can approach the Lord's Supper that the the, the way you come is totally inappropriate. And there are several examples in the text. First is getting drunk. Getting drunk. 1 Corinthians 11, 21. For at the meal, each one eats his own supper. So one person is hungry while another gets drunk. The Apostle Paul says, some were getting drunk during communion. And I'm very proud to say that no one has ever gotten drunk during communion at Walnut Creek Church. Except for that one time um, with Pastor Luke. I'm just joking about that. That's not true. No, I'm just kidding. No, not happened. Not happened. No drunk drunkenness here. But throughout church history, this has been a problem where people, they come to the Lord's table and they get drunk. They get drunk. That's, a, that's totally inappropriate to approach the Lord's table and to get drunk while you're taking communion. Number two, divided relationships. Divided relationships. 1 Corinthians eleven eighteen. For to begin with, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. He says, you guys come together as one body, and yet I hear there's a bunch of factions, a bunch of divisions. The church is fractured. And as you read 1 Corinthians, you see that the church was competitive. They were competing with one another. There was bitterness in their hearts. They were not united. They, were, they did not love one another. There were pockets of love, but there were also pockets of rivalry and division. And part of celebrating communion corporately is to remember our union with Christ and therefore our union with one another, that we are united with one another, that we belong to one another. Though we are many, many parts, one body. What's the basis of our unity with one another? It is the gospel of grace. It is our union with with Jesus Christ. So to celebrate our union with Christ while harboring bitterness towards his body is completely inappropriate. It's totally inappropriate. Matthew chapter 5 verse 23 says, so if you are offering your gift on the altar, so you go to church, go to worship God. So if you are offering your gift on the altar and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, it's not that you have something against them. That would definitely, definitely apply. But he says, there you remember, oh, oh, Tom, my friend Tom or Steve or whoever it is. They are angry at me. Verse 24, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with your brother or sister and then come back and offer your gift. Jesus helps us understand the priority of right relationships about going as far as we can possibly go to pursue unity in the body of Christ. It it does not make sense for us to treasure and value our union with Christ while we harbor bitterness towards other people. And I think if the church would practice this, if the church would practice this, the church would be so much healthier over time. So often, the reasons churches either don't grow or they collapse or they're not fruitful, they don't honor God, so often it's because of the breakdown of relationships. That within marriage, a husband and a wife, they harbor bitterness towards one another. In a community group, 
in a church, whatever it is, there's this harboring of bitterness. There's anger and frustration, and we think we can continue to worship God while we harbor bitterness. But Paul says, don't do that. You're, you are taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. The Lord Jesus wants us to examine ourselves. And as Christians, we are to be peacemakers. Peace is not always possible. There are people who are irreconcilable. There are people who, regardless of what you do, they will not be reconciled to you. So Paul says, as far as it depends on you, you are to be at peace with all people. And so as we come to the Lord's table and we examine ourselves, it is a wonderful opportunity for us to consider whether or not we're bitter towards people, if we're angry towards people, if we're holding resentment in our hearts. And this starts in the home with husbands and wives. That the gospel of grace is to be practiced first in the home within the union between a man and a woman. And so if you need to apologize to your wife or to your husband, you need to do that. That that we ought not to think we can continue to worship Christ and be angry with other people. Otherwise, we take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. Number three, holding on to sin. How do we take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner? Holding on to sin. People ask me all the time. They'll say something like this. Here's a scenario. Someone will say, last night I looked at porn, or last night I got drunk, or this week I went too far with my girlfriend or my boyfriend. We crossed the line sexually. It was totally inappropriate. Should I take communion? That's the question. So I've sinned. I failed in a very obvious way. Should I take communion? That might be true of some of you here this morning. You may have blown it big time this week, maybe last night, maybe even this morning. What do you do? Should you take the Lord's Supper or should you not take the Lord's Supper? Well, let me ask you, do you hate your sin? Do you hate your sin? Do you want to be done with your sin? Do you want to obey Christ? Do you want to do what is right? The Lord Jesus knows we are sinners. He came into the world to save sinners. Paul, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, he says that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Not I was the worst. He says, I am the worst. So communion is not just for perfect people. That's not what communion is for. Communion is for sinners. And so if there's a humility before God, a repentance in your heart, turning away from sin and turning to Christ, it's a wonderful thing to take communion. It's a wonderful thing to to remember, oh my goodness gracious, the Lord Jesus Christ, the, the God of heaven and earth, the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything, he gave his life on the cross for me to forgive my sins. It's a wonderful thing to come and remember that truth. So communion, dear brothers and sisters, communion is for sinners, but it is not for rebels. Communion is not for rebels. Luke chapter 22, verse 19. Verse 19 says, And he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them, and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is the night before Jesus was betrayed. Hours before he would be arrested, he would be arrested, then falsely accused, condemned to die, then crucified on the cross. He's, he is right at the point of death. But before he dies, he spends his last few hours with his disciples, and he institutes communion. And he says, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you, verse 21. Now pay attention to verse 21. 
but look. So do you see the scenario in your head? Jesus in the upper room with his disciples. Verse 21, but look, the hand of the one betraying me. Who's that? Judas. But look, the hand of the one betraying me is at the table with me. So who's there? Judas. Judas is there taking the first communion. And the other disciples, they didn't know who Judas, well, they knew who Judas was, but they didn't know that Judas would betray Jesus. And so Judas is participating in the Lord's Supper. And yet, he is planning the death of Jesus. He's planning the death of Jesus. This is the epitome of taking communion in an unworthy manner. Judas took communion while treasuring sin more than Christ. Judas took communion while delighting in his rebellion more than delighting in Christ. Judas was actively planning how to betray Jesus. And brothers and sisters, when we come to the Lord's table and we treasure sin more than we treasure Christ, we are taking communion in an unworthy manner. When we know what we're doing is wrong, when we are living in sin and yet we participate in the body and blood of Christ, we are taking communion in an unworthy manner. I remember when I was in high school, I was in a relationship that did not honor Christ at all. It was a sinful sexual relationship that was, that was bad. It was sinful. And I knew that it was bad. And I was a Christian at the time. And I remember living this, this life where a part of, like I wanted to do what was right. I wanted to follow Christ, but I wanted this relationship more. And I remember coming to the Lord's table. I remember communion and thinking to myself, oh my goodness, this picture right before me. Do I want to be close with Christ or do I want to be close to this woman? Do I want to be close with Christ or do I want to indulge my flesh? Which one is it? And for a period of time, to my own shame, I continued to live in sin. And I think to myself, oh man, this is one of the benefits of communion, that it just puts those options right in front of us. Do you want to be close to Christ? Do you treasure what he's done for you? Or do you want to maintain your sin? Do you want to live in your sin? Do you want to hold on to your bitterness? Do you want to keep sleeping with your girlfriend? You want to keep holding on to your porn habit, your alcohol habit, your drug habit? Do you want to keep living for yourself? Which one do you prefer? Do you prefer Christ or your sin? And so as a body, the, the right response when we come to the Lord's table is to reaffirm our love for Christ, our appreciation for Christ, to say, no, no, we desire to walk closely with Christ more than anything else. More than anything else. We want to know Christ more than anything else. And so communion provides us with that opportunity. But brothers and sisters, when we hold on to our sin and we continue to take communion, we are eating and drinking judgment on ourselves. That's what Paul says. So let us examine ourselves. Let us examine ourselves. We come to the Lord's table and we remember that the Lord Jesus Christ, not only did he live for us, not only did he die for us, but he rose again from the dead. That Jesus Christ rose from the dead and he ascended into heaven and one day he will return. One day we will be with him. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. There's this proclamation that goes out. When we take communion together, 
It's a proclamation that the Lord Jesus Christ did not stay in the grave. He rose from the dead. And one day he will come. One day we will see the Lord. And, and sin, the reason we treasure sin, one of the reasons we treasure sin is because we're only looking at the moment. Sin only, quote, makes sense. It doesn't make sense, but it only makes sense in the short run. It only makes sense in the, in the moment. I mean, how often do you freak out at, at your kids and the next day you just say to yourself, I am so happy I freaked out on them, those kids. I mean, that vein looked great when it popped out of my head. I mean, it was awesome. My face is red. You don't think that at all. You're, emb- you're embarrassed the next day. Or how often do you give in to sexual sin? How often do you give in to sexual sin? And then the next day say, man, I'm so happy I did that. You don't do that. You don't think that. You're embarrassed. You're embarrassed of it. And so communion is designed to help remind us that Christ one day will come. It is, it is a proclamation that he lived and died and rose again and one day we will see him face to face. And so brothers and sisters, we want to take communion seriously. Now two points of application for us as we close. Number one is we are to sense the priority in the opportunity of communion. Uh, when our church started, uh, I would say that we were very, very casual in the way we practiced communion. Very, very casual. Uh, There were months, maybe even years that went by, and we didn't practice communion at all. And we didn't even recognize we weren't practicing communion. It just wasn't a priority for us. And then we were like, maybe we should do communion. We're like, yeah, good idea. Then we would do it every once in a while, then we would stop. And then it was just, it was not a priority for us 15, 16 years ago. By the grace of God, I think we've grown in that. We practice communion every week now. But as a church, it is important for us to 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 sense the priority of communion. So when it comes time, we're going to take communion here in a minute. When it comes time to take communion, the healthy way to approach communion is to examine ourselves. It's to examine ourselves and to remember what Christ has done for us. And so we want to sense that priority when we come. We don't want it to be something I'll just, you just open, open the little thing up, eat the little bit of cracker, drink the cup, and then be done without thinking about it. We want to sense the priority of it and the opportunity for it. The opportunity to commune with the resurrected Christ, to remember what he has done for us. Remember, this is not a funeral service. Jesus died, but he rose again. He's alive and he's with us. And he, he is more eager to walk closely with us than we are to walk closely with him. So sense the priority and the opportunity of communion. Number two, understand what fencing the table means. Understand fencing the table. This is a term that most here probably are not familiar with. If you read about communion, you'll see this word all over the place. Fencing the table comes down to a couple of factors. It comes down to how often are you going to practice communion and to whom will you offer communion? How often will you practice communion and to whom will you, will you offer communion? There's one perspective that would be like a no-fencing approach to communion. You, just, you don't even explain communion. You offer it to everyone. That's what you do. You just offer communion to everyone and everything you go outside. You offer communion to, to people going by on the street. You offer it to stray cats or dogs. I mean, you don't even care. You just offer everyone everything. You just give communion to everyone and everything. That's, that would be an example of not fencing the table at all. What we have done historically is that we explain communion every week. We talk about the gospel every week, and then we offer it to believers. We say that communion is for believers because communion is for believers. But we are going to make a slight change to that. We are going to make a slight change to that. 
And so what we're going to begin saying when we take communion, we're going to explain communion every week, and we want to even get better at doing that, but then we're going to offer it to baptized believers. We're not going to be police. We're not policemen. We're not investigators. Each week when we take communion, we're not going to check, make sure, hey, have you been, hey, have you been baptized? We can't, we can't know that. We're not going to, again, we're not investigators. We're not police officers. But we believe that this is the best way to guard or fence the table. Now, why? Why are we going to make this change? I'll give you three reasons. First, throughout church history, baptism and communion are practiced together. They're practiced together. So the idea of someone taking communion for a long period of time without being baptized, it's a foreign thought. It's a foreign thought. Or the idea of someone being baptized but not taking communion is a foreign thought. These two ordinances, baptism and communion, are designed to work together. They're designed to work together. They belong, they're both signs that someone belongs to Christ. They belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. They're for Christians. So to offer one without the other doesn't make any sense. Number two, throughout church history, baptism is the minimum threshold for a credible profession of faith. Throughout church history, baptism is the minimum threshold for a credible profession of faith. The person who claims to know Christ and refuses to to get baptized is undercutting their own profession of faith in Christ. So the person who says, I am a Christian, I am a worshiper of the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and yet I will not get baptized. That refusal to identify publicly with Christ is undercutting their profession of faith. Why do I say that? Because if someone says, I'm a follower of Christ, and one of the first things Jesus asks his followers to do is get baptized, and you say, no, on what basis could someone affirm that you're a follower of Christ? And so we believe this is one, one way to better practice communion as a church. And we want, to use, we want to use communion as an opportunity to encourage one another to walk in obedience to Christ, to remember Christ and to walk obedient, in obedience to him. And number three, we want to make the most of our opportunity each week to honor Christ in communion. We think this will help us, help us as a church sense the priority and the opportunity every week to honor Christ, to remember Christ, to commune with Christ. Uh, I, I think there is an attitude when approaching the Lord's table that can be too casual. It can be too casual. And then when it's too casual, we miss the significance of what Christ wants us to do. Now, if you have questions about this, I would love to talk with you. All the pastors, we would love to talk with you about this. But we think this is the, the best way uh, that we are aware of after talking together, reading, thinking, praying. We think this is the best way. So to summarize again, moving forward, we're not gonna like check everyone. We're not gonna check, have you been baptized? Okay, uh, have you been baptized? You haven't? Okay, we're gonna, we, we're gonna stop people from taking communion. That's not what's gonna happen. But when we explain communion, we're gonna say that communion is for those, for believers who have been baptized. At this time, we're gonna take communion. <laughs> That's what we're gonna do. And I hope, I hope that this this time, we're going to spend a couple of minutes where you can examine yourself. You can come forward, uh, the bread and the cup, uh, right up front here. You can come forward. You can grab them. My hope is that this is a sweet time of fellowship with Christ, where your soul senses the priority of, of Christ and what he has done for us. So I'm going to pray, and then you can get up whenever you want to and go grab the bread and the cup. Let's pray. 
Father in heaven, we